1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the full court press and extension of five on the floor. We talk general NBA with kind of a little bit of an eye for some analytics and some numbers here and there, as well as the eye test, which we will most likely defer to the great Marco Romo, who is with me tonight. I'm Gadiel Cartagena. I'm joined by the great Marco Romo and my guy at Ariel Atias. So we're going to chop it up. We're going to talk general NBA, right? There's going to be a lot of different conversation to be had because there's so much that goes on in this beautiful association. Um, And no no conversation may be bigger this year, uh, especially from an individual standpoint, than the MVP conversation, right? Um, The MVP conversation is something that it feels like every time you refresh Twitter, you see someone saying, oh, if this person is not in your MVP conversation, then you're not having a real conversation and I know Heat Twitter is victim to that. There's tons of fan bases that will just tweet out their best player, and that is who deserves to be in the MVP conversation. Like, I, at some point, we probably had De'Aaron Fox in the MVP conversation uh, at some point throughout this year. But I do want to get your opinions on this. Uh, Marco, I will start with you. If you – maybe your favorite and then a dark horse, uh, who are you looking at for the MVP combo right now?
2: Oh, all right. We're getting right into it, Uh I think I would go – Jokic, right now, uh, I'm starting. Everybody's gonna say, like, um, it's the games thing that he has an advantage over because he's played like the most games, he hasn't missed the game at all. Like, like that's underrated. Like, <laughs> the fact that he's like an Iron Man like, in this kind of season, even though look, he's not an Iron at all, he's made of like pillows, but he's still <laughs> Seriously. able to like, play every night. And he's putting up like these are insane numbers like 27, 10, and 8. So that's like With, like, 63% effective field goal percentage, that's, like, bonkers stuff. That's, like, what guards do. But, like, he's doing it even more efficiently than that. Like, Russell Westbrook, like, his MVP year, he did this kind of thing. and You know, he was fourth place. You know, most guys don't get MVP who are that low uh, in terms of seating, But I guess the teams are just so bunched up. And nobody's going to give it to Chris Paul as much as I love Chris Paul. Uh, You know, he's been awesome. It's just... I think it's Jokic on the way right now. And I feel like – I did hear Mark Jones yesterday. I was watching the Dunker Spot. Uh, Shout-out to Nikais and Steve Jones Jr. They were interviewing him. He said that he actually would go with Embiid despite, you know, the games and all that because of the defensive impact that Joel has. Uh, I just think that uh, Jokic's defense is fine enough. Like, he said that he saw him get subbed out a lot this year. I think Jokic – i don't know i haven't seen that as much this year uh in years past he used to get like beaten off the court uh with his slow feet but now they're playing a better like drop zone like they they help off of uh their guy pretty well and they don't let uh jokic get destroyed in the pick and roll anymore he's passable and i think that passableness isn't like trey young level bad where yeah. where it's going to affect his like mvp candidacy uh, I did, however, like – and he would be, like, the first true center to, like, win this thing since, like, what Shaq maybe, like 2001 or 2000 actually. <laughs> uh, but I guess if you could go with, like, Dirk Nowitzki uh, back in 07. But, you know, he was, like, a power forward center guy who – I don't know. I guess you could count him. And even if you do, that's still, like, 14 years. That's, like, old enough to drive. So I think that's still – or. I think that's still Jokic's to win right now. Either way, we're going to get a big man winning the award. So shout out to the 90s.
1: Yeah, both both top candidates right now are Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic. And, I mean, Embiid has been dominant. But like you said, like the Iron Man ability of Nikola Jokic right now is truly unbelievable, right? And he's also been doing it uh, without Jamal Murray. Ariel, is Jokic your guy as well?
0: Yep. Uh, I'm going to go Nikola Jokic as well. I really want to make an argument the other way for Joel Embiid, but it's hard for me to do it when I genuinely don't really believe in it. I think Joel Embiid has been spectacular this season when he's been healthy and available. He's led the Sixers to, are they first? Yeah. They have the best record in the East. He's missed some time, but truly when he's been on the court, he's been absolutely unstoppable. But Nikola Jokic, man. I mean, like Marco said, the guy's averaging 26 and a half, 11 boards, a shade under nine assists, one and a half steals, almost a block. He's shooting 57% from the field, 85 from the line, 41 from three. He's been unbelievable. He is a one-man offense on his own. Um, That's been evidenced right in the four games since Jamal Murray's been out. Uh, They've won all four games the Nuggets have. He's averaging 29.5 points per game, 12.5 rebounds, and eight assists in those games. Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets are a plus- 339 plus minus cumulatively this season with him on the court. That is ridiculous. He is an absolute one-man offense on his own, and he is the single reason why I think they're going to be able to stay afloat and remain in that 4-5 spot, uh, even without Jamal Murray. Um, a lot of the other guys on the team are going to have to take more of a uh, more of an offensive burden, and, and of course, Nikola Jokic is going to have to increase the usage rate and have to do a little bit more for them, but I think he's capable of it. Um, he's been the best player in the NBA this season, so it's got to be him in my opinion
1: yeah his I mean his overall impact like you said one man offense is really the perfect way to describe Jokic he's truly someone that is still keeping them afloat and like I love Faku, but Faku is pretty much like one of their main guards right now uh with Jamal Murray being out and like they absolutely annihilated the heat when they played them just because Jokic brings that kind of talent he elevates so many other people so I love the Nikola Jokic pick I also believe that he should be the MVP for all the reasons that you guys said Now I want to transition over to a a more a different conversation, right? The DPLY conversation, I think, is not so much of a front runner as people have made it out to be on Twitter. Um, I believe the top three right now is Rudy Gobert, Ben Simmons, and Bam Adebayo. Now, Marco, I don't know if you would actually pick Bam, but I believe you did write an article on making the case, right? So how what what exactly was in that article? And do you think Bam has a realistic claim to win it this season?
2: Uh, I think realistically, probably not. Uh, I think, uh, my main thing with the piece that I had, uh, I had wanted people to take away was at least put him in the conversation. I think it's been absolutely disrespectful that he hasn't been in the conversation, like up until, I guess the past week, like, uh, NBA.com's, uh, TPO y letter, uh, finally included him in the top three. Like, I was like tired of seeing miles Turner in there. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I know he, like miles is a fine defender but he doesn't do all the things that Bam does. And that was uh shout out to Andrew Green. Uh thank you for for that donation, you know. Uh thanks for, you know, supporting the team. Uh but yeah, my thing is like give give him in the conversation. It's disrespectful not have him in there because of just how much he does for Miami. Like he's he's the he's the main ingredient or makes Miami's defense even like passable sometimes whenever he has guys like Whenever they play a lineup of Drogic, uh, Nun and Hero, it's only passable if you have Bam out of Bayou out there. Like he's the guy that makes the offense change their game plan. You know, there's a big that can switch onto onto whoever or whatever pick and roll you wanna run. And like each team, that's their main thing is they want to run a pick and roll. That's like the easiest thing. And Bam can just take that away very easily. And now you see that with teams, you know, they're trying to run Uh, the pick and roll to get advantages now because bam's like he's so willing to switch but like that's a good problem to have whenever your center is like so good at switching out to the teams are actually wanting to use that to their advantage and even then it's still like a hard thing to grasp because teams don't all have uh nikolo Jokic or joel and b to like uh force uh, those kind of mismatches because post-ups are generally a really inefficient uh shot uh, unless you have a guy like Jokic or who can get that shot effectively, so I think uh, the kind of havoc that Bam uh, makes offenses run is underrated. Like he he changes the the entire offensive game plan of some opponents, and it's like marvelous to watch every night. And like it's underrated to me. Like give him the conversation at least. I think he's gonna win one in the future. But I just I'm tired of the disrespect of not having him in the conversation.
1: yeah. like you'll you'll see on Twitter, there's people just completely disregarding Bam out of bio as even like in that conversation, he is squarely in that conversation. Arrow, you're shaking your head right now. Uh, Your thoughts on this entire conversation?
0: I'm just, I'm shaking my head, but I genuinely agree with everything Marco said. I wanted to make the BAM argument, but I think he hit the nail on the head in terms of all the different things that BAM's able to do for the Heat's defense. If we're being realistic, the Heat were not a great defensive team last year, and they have a lot of the same personnel as they did last year. The fact that they are sixth in the NBA in defensive rating, they're a top three team um in a point uh no sorry yeah they're a top three team and opponents' points per game allowed they're an excellent field goal uh, percentage defensive team like all around just a great defensive team and i think a lot of that is due to bam uh real quick before we keep going Christian Cardis, thank you for both of the those two dollar donos we appreciate you give me bam plus splash crackers over brick clemens any day (laughs) listen hey I'm I'm with you in terms of I'd rather have Bam, but I'm not here to slander Ben Simmons as fun as it might be sometimes to slander the Sixers if we're being completely unbiased here. Ben Simmons is a fantastic defender. So yes. since uh, Marco Romo went Bam out of bio, I'm going to go Ben Simmons just to give another perspective here. He's averaging one and a half steals per game, half a block, but his individual defensive rating is 106.7. That's really good. An average defensive rating is, I believe, about 110. In the NBA. So that's a really like, I mean, he's just a, a spectacular defender. His defensive field goal percentage in terms of what he holds, the guys that he guards to, um, is 41.7% from the field. He has a defensive box plus minus of 1.8. So um, the Sixers are second in the NBA in defensive rating. They're seventh in opponents' points per game allowed and fourth in opponents' field goal percentage allowed. So a lot of that is due to Ben Simmons. He can switch onto just about anybody on the court. He's not elite down low. Um, But he's not at all like a poor defender in any area, especially uh, on the perimeter. He's just spectacular. He can absolutely shut you down. We see him hound guys. He'll switch all over the court, like I said. So I think based on that and the fact that it's kind of the sexier name, the media would be more likely to lean Ben Simmons or perhaps Rudy Gobert, whom I believe you can make an argument for. But in my personal opinion, he's a drop big. He primarily defends at the rim and he is elite at it. He is the best in the NBA at that. He completely shuts off the paint and takes that area of the game away from you. And though it is a regular season award in a playoff setting, that's something that you can scheme against. If you have uh, guards and wings who are really good off the pick and roll at pulling up from the mid range, from the three point line and getting to their shot. Um, that's something you can take advantage of with regards to Rudy because he's usually going to be sitting in the paint. He's not lost in space, though. He can switch, though it's not something they want to do frequently because he's so long and he has decent mobility. You know, he can he can catch up to a guard who gets by him and still recover in time to make a block and make a play at the rim. Um, but there are no weaknesses as far as Ben Simmons go defensively. Uh, same for Bam out of bio. So uh, those would be my two top guys. Um, But I feel like Rudy might get it anyways, because it's just a sexier pick.
1: Yeah, I mean, also, the thing with Rudy that makes him so elite is he's the most elite at rim protection in the NBA. But in the regular season, that's also the most valuable defensive trait to have, right? Like he, like the game plan defensively is how do we score on Rudy? And you have to try to do like pull up shots, like you said, against the drop. You have to be a good three point shooting team because Rudy, honestly, is just not going to let a lot of points in the paint. Happens. So I think Rudy, given the team' success, is definitely going to have a really good claim at winning it. I would love to see Bam be in that conversation more, but I just, like you guys said, I don't know if he has the name cachet around him right now to really fortify himself in that conversation. Maybe he has a few more highlights on primetime. I don't know how many more times he Heat play on primetime. But like it seems like after everyone watched him against Kyrie, they're like, whoa, wait, Bam's, Bam's kind of special on defense. Um, but he hasn't had that many chances to do that. As opposed to Ben Simmons or Rudy Gobert, who everyone's just watching them play defense because that's what they hang their hat on already. Um, so I am yeah, I
2: mean, not. I'm kind of tired of the big defensive center winning. Yes, DPOI yeah, every, I agree. Every preach. Here. It's like uh, I get it. Rudy Gobert is protecting the rim; like he's really good at it and all that. I'm just like I'm kind of tired of it in general. <laughs>
0: Ask Chris Paul how scared he is of Rudy Gobert at the rim because he (laughs) goes at him every single time they play. The floater's in the lane. He's just not afraid of Rudy Gobert. Look, Rudy Gobert, like we said, is a spectacular defender, but there are ways to take advantage of the way that he plays defense. So, you know, if you've got guards that are really good in the mid-range and like to get into that pull-up jumper when the opponent's playing uh, drop, That's there all day long. Uh, Rudy spectacular. And I think that like Marco was hitting at, like he kind of fits the traditional mold of the type of player that would win DPOY in that he's that big who just protects the pain and anchors the defense. So uh, Hassan defensive player of the year, Christian Cardis. I don't think so buddy Um, (laughs) that uh, yeah, we're not going to do that. A few few years
1: back, right. A few years back, bam might've been in that conversation. Um, Yeah, I mean, the DPOY conversation is so fun to talk about. I think uh, now that there's really like a a, a top three, and I mean, you could throw Giannis in in that conversation. He's been fantastic on the defensive end as well. Um, But I feel like people are just, there's voter fatigue with Giannis regarding Giannis with MVP and DPOY. Like that is just pretty much where we're at. I think it's going to be really hard for him to win that award both times, three years in a row. It's just, Something doesn't really happen much more. Uh, Marco, we'll give this one to you. What's your top five DPOY besides these three? Putting yourself on the spot here.
2: All right, so I have those three as the top three, Uh, and I guess I would go after that. It's so hard because so many guys have missed like so many games. Uh, I'm gonna give you with a a curveball. I'm gonna say five. The fifth guy here is I'm gonna say Drew Holiday.
1: Mm, Okay.
2: I feel. I feel like he's changed what they do on defense so much, and like he hounds guards. Like I want them to shut down Trey Young to like the point that he got visibly frustrated about it. And I was like, Dang, this guy is like so good, and he changes so much of what what they want to do. And like fourth, I'm gonna probably go with Miles Turner because he was still being like really really good beforehand. I also could see an argument for DeAndre Ayton in the same way that people have argued for Miles Turner. Uh, because of just how their mere presence in the rim or at the paint uh, affects teams, but I'm gonna go with Miles, even though you know he's gonna be out for quite a while. But it's just so many people that have gotten hurt this year. I don't put that really against him. The same way I don't put it against beat as much. Uh, but I guess the MVP award is like a different category its own. So I'll say Ben, Bam, Rudy, not in that, not in that order. Uh, Drew uh, and Embiid. Forget so about no, Turner. I just remembered about Embiid.
1: <laughs> yeah, Embiid is Embiid is a beast on defense. Like that is what makes part of part of what makes Philadelphia so scary defensively is they have Ben Simmons and Embiid, and both of those guys play different roles defensively. That they work together and like the cohesion between the way that they play defense is really special, and they can make a lot of noise on the defensive end. Um, no, no, TJ McConnell love. I'm shocked after him being on the DPOY ladder for multiple weeks after hounding Tyler Hero for one game
2: he's special oh, yeah. stealing inbounds passes like he's like it's one of the all best bounce stealers of like all time it's crazy That's in, all, in that he first now, he's a good defender but he shouldn't be there
0: yeah. right yeah, in that first game uh where they came to miami and i think they spanked the heat um the heat guards literally could not get that ball across half court without tj mcconnell making them take up seven seconds of the eight seconds available or stealing the ball in the backcourt or making them pick up the ball and pass it out of the backcourt. Like he is just a hound, but I agree. I don't think like this, this, you know, the defensive player of the year talk uh, should be reserved for guys who can have a tangible legitimate impact across multiple positions, in my opinion, defensively. So to me, yes, TJ McConnell is a very pesky defender. He is a good defender. I am not knocking him at all. But <laughs> there's only one guy on the go- on the court that he's consistently guarding. It's the other team's smaller guard. That's generally what it is. You're not putting him on bigger two guards. You're not putting him on wings. So I don't think he belongs in there.
1: Um, there we got a comment here. Right. Shout out Mor- Morv's. Um, actually, I want to go to the first one, Manny. Um, thoughts on the Raptors. So the Raptors are currently half a game out of the play-in. They opted not to trade Kyle Lowry, and they got rid of Norman Powell getting Gary Trent. Um, do you guys have any opinion on how the Raptors are – approaching this
2: post-trade deadline madness for them? Uh, I guess I kind of – I don't get it. It looks like they want to tank. Like, the lineups that they're putting out there are wild. They're playing Freddie Gillespie. I don't know if you guys even know who that is. Uh, Probably not because I barely knew who he was. Uh, He did go to Baylor. uh, Yeah, and I was like, okay, they're trying to tank. Exactly, they're trying to take though, but they're like, uh, masai Jiri's like, but I got I brought Kyle Larry back because I guess we could have made the playing tournament, but it doesn't even look like they're trying to play for the playing tournament. Uh, we Mm -hmm. can probably segue into that later, but and I I have a problem with like if you're gonna bring him back, you're just wasting another year of this guy that you held so highly in regards to like your team's like franchise. I'm like, really. You brought him back just to not even try. You're probably going to lose him in the off season. Maybe yeah. I I I I just don't get it.
1: Yeah, it looked what they did was kind of counterintuitive. Like I like that they're getting guys like Malachi Flynn minutes because he's someone that could end up being a pretty good player in the NBA. Um, and they've had a good history of developing those smaller guards into pretty special players. Um, but at the same time, they've won four straight. Uh, they somehow have a positive point differential. I think it's because they had that like sixty point win against the Raptors or against the, the Warriors, but it was really, really weird that they didn't trade Lowry. That, to me, just still doesn't really make much sense um, unless he's staying in the offseason, but I don't think – like, this is the perfect opportunity for them to full-on tank, right? Like, you're not playing in your hometown. You have a bunch of players ravaged by injury, and you have, ex- like, big-name Expiring free agents that you can move, so it didn't really make sense to me, Ariel. And you're actually from Canada and you live in Canada. Uh, any specific thoughts on what the Raptors are doing right now? So, I'll just
0: make the uh devil's advocate argument here. I mean, I hear what you guys are saying, I was, I had the same opinions around the trade deadline, but the more it sits with me, I mean, he is a tremendously important player to that team, that fan base, and the culture that they have there, right? He's considered the best player in the Raptors franchise history, and for good reason, he's been a leader. For years on that team, and frankly, I would imagine that there is a chance that they're at least considering bringing him back. I guess it would depend on the price point and how the team shapes up for next year. So I'm not really going to speculate on that, but look, he's a really good player. There's something to be said for regardless of whether or not you're necessarily a championship team and you expect to win a championship in whatever year, um, having you know players that have been around the team that are regarded as leaders that you know help carry the culture we're, we're all miami heat fans so i mean this should we should all be able to relate to this um yes. they carry the culture of the team and keeping them around so i guess it'll depend on the price point it did seem a little bit weird that they didn't move him at the deadline it seemed um like he was ready to move on as well um but listen they kept they kept him and i i know that raptor fans are are really happy like the timeline was pretty sad when it seemed like Kyle Lowry had played his last game and, and he kind of waved goodbye to the camera and all that after the game. So um, I'm, I'm kind of happy for, for Raptor fans, to be honest with you. I'm I'm kind of happy about it.
1: Of course you are. You're, you're Canadian. I, I would expect nothing less from you. Uh, Christian Cardus, thank you for letting me know that I actually botched uh, Malachi Flynn. I don't know why I said Malachi. It's Malachi. Uh, you are absolutely a hundred percent right. So <laughs> I don't, I don't know where that came from, but you know, we'll, we'll just, we'll keep moving forward. Um, Let's talk about the play-in, actually, because the Raptors are one of the teams that could be in the play-in. Right now, the four teams that are currently in the play-in is seven, the Miami Heat, eight, the Charlotte Hornets, nine, the Indiana Pacers, ten, the Washington Wizards, and less than one full game out is both the Toronto Raptors and the Chicago Bulls. Um, So which of these teams, Ariel, I'll start with you, which of these teams is the most dangerous in a play-in game and could, that could actually maybe make noise in the playoffs?
0: I feel like the correct answer is probably Toronto, but I'm actually going to go Washington because I think that in a short sample size, in a two-game sample size, right, because if you're in the 9 or 10 spot, you've got to win two games to get into the playoffs. Um, in that small a time frame, a guy like Bradley Beal, perhaps even Russell Westbrook, but I'm really looking at Bradley Beal, can absolutely carry a team to victory. Um, the Wizards are not a good roster. They don't have a good team. Let's let's just put that out there. But Russ has been on an absolute tear, as the comments are, are saying right now. He's been on an absolute tear. Um, the dude puts up triple doubles and he's in his sleep. It's kind of ridiculous. He's never been the most efficient player. Um, and so historically that hasn't really led – or been conducive to building championship or even just playoff success uh, teams. But man, Bradley Beal is just ridiculous. He's such a high level of player that if I'm a heat fan or if I'm a Hornets fan, who I believe are in the eight spot right now, um, I don't want to see Bradley Beal in, in a play in game. Like absolutely not. That dude can win a game single-handedly. So I think just based on that, like all of those teams in that seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 um, area, are flawed none of them are perfect teams none of them really have anything that you can say oh like that's why they're going to definitely win that one or two play in games um but as far as you know bradley beal and the wizards go he's the one player that scares me the most in that area so i would probably go with the wizards
2: oh very very interesting that you go with the wizards marco your thoughts uh i'm gonna go west uh i'm gonna go west for the west Play-In tournament but that's okay uh, Ooh, okay I'm gonna say uh, the Warriors are the obvious answer, uh, and it's obvious the answer. Why Steph Curry? Uh, you don't want to play that man, and if you're the one or or two seed, uh, I w- I would love to watch Rudy Gobert Rudy Gobert chase him around like trying to defend him. Uh, it's insane the like what the run he's on. Like I didn't get to point this out in his MVP candidacy, but. It's very similar to Dwayne Wade's back in 2008. Uh, He's, like, carrying a mediocre squad out there. Uh, The only difference is that Dwayne wasn't in, like, tail end of his prime. He was in the middle of his prime. So that's why, like, Warriors fans are so mad about, like, uh, them wasting this, like, last few years of Steph's prime because he's putting up, like, he had 72 threes and 10-game stretch, which was a record. (laughs) He had 30 – he has 30 or more points in 11 straight games this year. In an 11-game stretch just recently, he has eight games of 40 or more. The next closest person this year is at five. He has six games of 10 or more threes this year. Nobody in their career has more than that other than Clay, who has five of those games, and that's throughout his career. So it's like – yeah, like he's absolutely <laughs> on, a, on a tear right now. Uh And I get why, like – Nobody would want to play him for in like a first round series. Like if you're the Jazz, you, you don't want to see that. you don't want not to, to defend that. Uh, the thing they had to go through is to play in tournament, which is insane that that's even in the conversation that they're not good enough to get past it. But it's just their squad is really mediocre. Uh, you can't like rely so much on Kelly Oubre Jr. every night. Like, <laughs> he's he should be your fourth best player at the, I guess the least because he's like sometimes he has to be their second main scorer. If Andrew Wiggins' shot isn't going, which I will give Andrew Wiggins his props because the dude's been, like, pretty good this year. You know, like, it's a career year for him. I like that he's putting it all together. You know, shout-out to Chef Shirley, you know. He's uh, defending his butt off out there. He's, like, a really good defender, actually. Great. Yeah, and I give him his props. But Steph still has to carry that team, like, every night. If he's not scoring 40, they're more than likely going to be in a nail biter at the end of the game if they get lucky. Uh, but yeah, I wanted I wanted to make sure that I brought up Steph's numbers. Uh, but yeah, I don't want to see the Warriors out in the West. Uh, out in the East, I guess at this moment it would be the Heat. Uh, that's my bias, but I don't think they're going to end up in the playing tournament, uh, yeah. which is why I get why Ariel actually went with the Wizards. Uh, but in the East, I'll probably say, uh, I'll, wow. If Boston gets down there, I guess Boston. It's whoever out of the current uh, three, four, like teams that are like battling for the fourth and fifth spot that don't get in yeah. there. I think they're going to be the most dangerous team uh, in that play-in tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, uh, yeah, I think I'd go with the Warriors in the West, and I guess right now the Heat in the East. Uh, the oh, team, you guys I, didn't. I want to, oh. want to ask. I actually want to ask you guys, like in the play-in tournament. Do you guys even know how that thing works? Because I barely know how the heck I that do, thing I works. I do, I do. Yeah. It's so confusing.
0: So but- this is how it works. 7 plays 8, 9 plays 10. The winner of 7 versus 8 moves forward and they are the 7 seed. The loser of the 7-8 game plays the winner of the 9 versus 10 game. The winner of that is the 8 seed. Does that make sense?
2: Okay, I only, it only makes sense to me because I looked it up, but that wouldn't have made it sense to me earlier. <laughs> it is a little
0: bit complicated for sure. Yeah. I do okay. want to offer a little bit of pushback, Marco. Just well, Not really pushback, but I have a question. Um, so you said that Warriors fans are you know, a little bit up in arms, understandably, because it feels like the, they're definitely wasting an absolute peak Steph Curry year, and I agree with that. But do we not feel like he has multiple years left at this level, given the way that we probably expect his game to age?
2: Yeah, uh, I definitely think so. I, I think he probably has another like until he's like at least 40. Like he, he can probably play when he's like 42 as just a spot up guy. Like it's easily, but I think with Warriors fans, because uh, I follow quite a few of them in my timeline, with uh, their thing is the messaging behind um, the franchise and like the front office and the coaching staff. They keep putting out this message that we're not trying to compete. You don't want to hear that from anybody. Yeah. Like, you would never hear that out of Miami. Even during, like, the Deion Waders years, they always said they wanted to compete for, like, at least the playoffs. Like, you hear Warriors fans get mad because they're saying, like, you hear Steve Kerr in post game saying, we're not trying to win now. Like, we know you're not. Championship caliber team, but you can't be saying that and that's where mm-hmm. a lot of frustration comes from Warriors fans because then that makes it uh, It makes it feel more explicit that you're wasting another stuff year like this And also why you haven't done anything with like the help or to help around him and all the stuff that you've swung and missed on Including your rookie pick which I don't fault James Wiseman for. like he's been put in a really bad position Uh it's just the frustration around the moves that don't speak to what the front office is saying.
1: Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, I do want to offer one before we get into the things we like around the league. I do want to offer one team. I think the Charlotte Horn, when they would be mm. healthy with gordon hayward and Lamelo ball could actually become a pretty pretty sneaky team in the play-in and if i were a team that is say the one seed, like philadelphia obviously i think philadelphia wins that series probably pretty handily but there'd be such an annoying team to play they really really would because they play beautiful basketball if you guys have watched charlotte play when they're at full strength it is truly fun to watch like charlotte I know I'm a Heat fan, but like I like watching Charlotte play basketball because they play it the right way. Like it's ball movement; they're having fun, and outside of Terra Rozier and Devontae Graham, they don't really take bad shots. Like it's really just ball movement, hitting the corner shot, or getting a cutter, or Miles Bridges just going absolutely crazy. I do like what they're building in Charlotte. Um, I would like to see their team fully healthy. That would obviously be really interesting. Really quick, before we get into the one thing we like around the league, I was just perusing through the stats, and I came across this number, which I just thought was pretty crazy. Um, On players who have two or more isolation possessions per game, who do you think would be the number one player in terms of points per possession? Marco, you're Mm -hmm.
2: thinking. I'm going to say, all right, I'm going to give you three guesses. Is that okay?
1: Yeah, I have the top five, so I'll – if you guess l- – l- let's run it. Let's run it.
2: All right, I got Jokic as one. Uh, I guess – do isolation positions count as post-ups and vice versa? I,
1: I don't think so. I think that is a different
2: – Okay, so I'll say Jokic one because he does a lot of face-up stuff. Steph Curry, uh, Jimmy Butler, uh, Jason Tatum. There, that's four. I don't know. why I gave You, you
1: got – Zero correct of the top five. Zero, Ariel.
0: That's tough. Um, okay, I'm gonna go. James Harden, Kyrie Irving.
1: Kyrie is number three. Luca. Nope. Dame.
2: Nope. C.J. McCollum.
1: Did you
0: did you go did you go Embiid? Uh, Marco.
2: No, I was going to, but I was
1: like. Embiid so. is number five on this list, which I, it wow. truly speaks to how crazy he is because isolation possessions are, are typically not that efficient, and he's getting 1.12 points per possession as a seven foot 280 pound center. Like Embiid is truly special. Like that that's crazy. But um, so no more guesses on number one. Any anyone in the comments, you can, none of you guys have gotten number one yet. You've come close. Some of you have got Kyrie. Um, no, no more guesses as to who's number one.
2: All right, give me uh, west or east. West. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, I was gonna
0: go Tyler Hero. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Ass, where,
2: where, where, where,
1: where, where, where. is that Steph? What? Not Steph. He's not even in the top five. Oh, There's goodness. 41 players eligible for this list, by the way. So it's not like it's too small of a list.
2: <laughs> okay. Zion. Nope. Ooh, really. Yeah. All
0: right. Booker is my last guess. I've got nobody else.
1: Nope. Number one in the NBA at 1.23 points per possession in isolation is DeMar DeRozan. Wow. God. Dang. <laughs> DeMar DeRozan by a, honestly a sizable margin. Number two of being another Brooklyn net is actually Kevin Durant at 1.18. Mm. So DeMar DeRozan is like credit to him, man. He is still, he's mean that's. Hell of an ISO player. It's the mid-range, and he doesn't yep. even take threes. That's the yep. craziest part. He's doing this without taking threes. He draws fouls, and he gets buckets. Like, he is credit to DeMar DeRozan. That, that, is, that threw me for a loop. Um. So we have number one, DeMar. Number two, KD at 1.18. Number three, Kyrie at 1.14. Number four, Zach Levine at 1.13. So credit to him as well. That is – he's taking a really, really big leap. I just thought that was one stat that I would share. Um, But let's go to – Wait, wait, wait.
2: I want to do one more thing about the play-in tournament. Go Uh, ahead. Which matchup would you guys want to see, like, out of all the teams, East or West, like, which, like, uh, head-to-head game would you, like, want to watch for, like, to go on to the playoffs?
1: Warriors and Mavs.
2: Mm, I like that. What about you, Ariel?
1: that's
0: tough um i don't want to say the heat in any matchup because i don't want them (laughs) to be there uh i think you know what i'm gonna go with the mavs as well but i i kind of like where it's at right now where they play memphis for the seven seed um i like i just like the way the grizzlies play the game i like their scrappiness i like john Morant. he's You know, phenomenal. There's some warts in his game, but I think he's well on his way to being a really, really good player, obviously. Um, Dylan Brooks is fun. He kills the heat, so I should hate him, but I'm trying to be unbiased, and I think he is a fire breather. When he's aggressive defensively, he's really good as well. Um, Yeah, I I just, I mean, if you get an extra Luca game or two, Who's gonna complain? So I, I guess Luka, I'll go Dallas. Luca will
1: definitely complain. Like he'll will, will complain. And Mark Cuban will complain as well. And Chris Stapps will probably <laughs> complain as well. But um I would like to see I would like to see uh that game as well. That would be fun. I think Memphis is they're kind of like the they're not West Coast really, like they're pretty close to the East Coast, honestly. Um, but they're kind of like the West, the Western Conference Hornets, in the sense that they're well coached, younger team that just they play the right way, and it's it's fun to watch. Um, I'd
2: probably go uh, Warriors-Pelicans only to see Steph versus Zion because that's, like, star-studded as heck. Uh, fun. Very true. If I could true. pick uh, Grizzly's mask because that would also be one of my picks, uh, I'd go Warriors-Pelicans. And low-key, I wouldn't mind uh, Grizz versus Spurs because they're, like, so similar in, like, how well-coached they are and how they don't play, like, they don't make mistakes. Like, they yeah. know each other's strengths. Uh, and that would be fun to see, like, it's like be like the Spider-Man pointing meme. And, and you know, Texas is used to booing guys who look like Race Man Allen anyway, so if you know what I mean.
1: <laughs> um, Memphis also does or did get Jaron Jackson Jr. back. I just want to point put that out there. He can make a big difference on that Memphis team. But I do want to get to one thing that we like from around the league. I feel like I've been picking Marco first on a lot of these, so I'll go with Ariel first.
0: It's all good, buddy. Um gonna go with Phoenix I love the way they play I love you know they're just such a fun team to watch Um, like I think I had mentioned earlier Booker is trending towards being a legitimate like offensive super superstar like one of the best scorers on planet earth Um, I love his trajectory they've got a bunch of really good wings from uh, Bridges to Cam Johnson, to, of course, our guy, Jay Jay Crowder, boss man. Um, And, of course, the the point guard. right? I mean, Chris Paul is ageless. It doesn't matter what situation you put him in, what team you put him on, he's going to lead your team to at least a playoff spot. I mean, he dragged – look at the roster that he took to the playoffs last year in OKC. It's not a great team. They have a bunch of, you know, solid but not – spectacular pieces and in the loaded western conference he dragged that team to i believe a five seed if i remember correctly they were like yeah, a four or five
1: yeah they oh, were game seven against there. the rockets
0: game yeah seven. they went Almost seven point. with james harden and, and and company so i mean chris paul spectacular you add him to a phoenix team that missed the playoff last year though they did show obviously they had that strong showing in the bubble um <laughs> booker still no justice stop it christian um yeah, I mean, they had that great showing in the bubble where they went 8-0. It still wasn't enough for them to get into the playoffs, and I think that's a little bit ridiculous, but it is what it is. Um, and they've built on that. Adding Chris Paul has taken that team to the next level. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I love what Phoenix has done. I don't really know if I buy them as having enough juice to get out of the West, but I think they can make a run for sure. They can get to the conference finals. Will they? I don't know. But I have a level of trust in them that I definitely haven't had in a while, of course, in the Phoenix Suns. So uh, that's Chris Ball's effect to me, and that's Devin Booker's improvement.
1: Yeah, no, they've they've been really, really good. And uh, I know, I mean, I'm high on the Clippers. We'll talk about this in future episodes when we kind of talk more about the playoffs. But I think the Suns actually match up really, really well against the Clippers. And that is a matchup that I would love to see in, like, the second round of the Western Conference playoffs. But... Marco, your thoughts on the Suns, or one thing that you like from around the league?
2: Uh, a quick note about the Suns. Uh, Mike Mike Mikael Bridges is the best uh, young three and D wing in the league right now, probably uh, in terms of role players. He's like the perfect role player, and I love watching him every night. And he's like, I don't know, there's something of he's like the modern, like new age Andrei Iguodala almost. Uh, you know, Tyrese Halliburton is going to probably be better than him in the future. But for right now, Mikael Bridges is like one of my favorite guys to watch. Uh, Agreed. My fa- my favorite thing, uh, I saw earlier on Twitter, people were – or somebody was arguing that uh, the Sixers were, may regret not getting Mikael Bridges because they traded him for uh, Zaire mm-hmm. Smith. And they said, well, I would regret more passing on Dante DiVincenzo. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is the worst take I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> it's horrible. But, okay, Uh Sliding off of Phoenix real quick. Uh, uh, they didn't help your your Heat fans out here today though. They lost to Boston uh, as we we're recording this. Uh, but I'm gonna go with De'Aaron Fox. He deserves to get his like flowers for this season, man. Especially like he needs those flowers to cover up the stink of the Kings right now. He's putting up like he's putting up 25, seven, and like four boards pretty much this year, and he's getting like to the rim at like insane levels, and he's and he's finishing at like elite levels. Like his finishing is up there with like big men and like yeah. Zion Williamson. And he and the fact that he like drives so much, he, get, he averages almost 20 drives a game, which is like mm-hmm. unheard of. But for a guard, I mean, that's still unheard of to me. Uh, and the three point shooting isn't there this year, uh, but he's at least taking them. And I like that he's like taking them without like hesitation. And that's like giving him more areas to like operate in terms of which avenue he's going to take, which like, uh, thinks he's going to exploit out of the defenses you know he start. I, I like that he's taking the three-pointers with more confidence it definitely helps like expand his game and he's still shooting 47 percent from the field despite his three-point percentage being at only 32 percent he's still like he's 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 so fun to watch too uh I have a comparison to him he's like to me he's like if Zion Williamson Let's say if De'Aaron Fox took the Super Soldier Syndrome, he would be Zion Williamson. <laughs> like because they're like so similar to me, like they're both like they drive to the rim, like and but you feel like you can stop them because you're going under the screen against them. Like you're not afraid of their shooting right now, but it doesn't matter. They still find a way to get to the rim. Like Zion isn't at, isn't even driving as much as Zion or as Fox is, which you would think they would be closer to each other, but they're. Like Zion, that's actually like seven drives less a game, which is actually kind of insane to me. Uh, And they both play a similar – because they both can handle the rock too. Obviously, Fox is more of a point guard because he is a point guard. Like he operates more in like pick and rolls. But I like the way that New Orleans has given the ball to Zion out in the perimeter more. That gives him more of of an avenue to operate uh, his pick and rolls too. And I like that they have uh, small guards screen for him. It's actually something that I want Miami to do with Bam Adebayo. Uh, And, yeah, they just remind me so much of each other. It helps that they're both left-handed, too. uh, And they both, like, operate in, like, so little space considering, like, the teams around them. They don't have spacers. Like, De'Aaron Fox has more spacers, but he still doesn't have that kind of space that you would want a guard like him to have a five-out offense. They've been playing this on white side still. (laughs) Like, they're starting. Shameful. (laughs) Shameful. That's the same way that uh, you know Zion is stuck with Stephen Adams, but at least Stephen Adams can set a decent screen. Uh, but he's still caught, the fact that Zion is still finishing inside with Stephen Adams clogging up the lane is like insane to me. Which is why it's pretty astounding the way that uh, De'Aaron Fox is finishing inside uh, with like Hassan Whiteside and Chris Silva clogging up the lane. Actually, Chris Silva is actually playing for them. Believe it or not, I saw him play it yesterday. Uh, yeah, just the way they're they're also really physical. Uh, when you when you meet them at the at the rim, they like they maneuver their bodies like crazy. Like they can like withstand Definitely. like the contact. You give them the first contact, they're still gonna okay, I'm gonna move my hand in the middle of the air to the left side where your arm's not and your arm's already coming down as a defender. And they still finish. It's like insane to me. I, I love watching both of them and I think Jaron Fox deserves more love this year. Uh, they need to fire Luke Walton and free my mans.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And I think De'Aaron Fox uh, kind of flying under the radar, like you've been saying, he does 100% deserve his flowers. I think this is pretty similar to kind of what development Devin Booker has had over the last few years in the sense that this not in the same play style, like they're different players, different whatever. But I think the sense that they are both players that are stuck on bad teams, but they really have not been given the credit But they have their own development into almost a borderline like young superstar. I don't guess you can't qualify them as full on superstars but like they're in the upper echelon of the league in at at their position, which is a a huge accomplishment in in and of itself. So, yeah, absolutely giving credit to De'Aaron Fox. Um, I want to touch on a team that I was going to touch on the Hawks. And then Trey Young went down. I don't know exactly what's going to go there, but give the Hawks their flowers. Nate McMillan has done a fantastic job with that role. I just want to say that about the Hawks. But the team that I'm going to talk about today is one that maybe Heat fans won't like that much. I know my guy, Ricky J. Mark, Will, um, the New York Knicks. No, God, please. you yes, You're an idiot. The New York <laughs> basketball Knicks have actually been playing – Really, really, really good basketball, and I want to give them their flowers because I believe they've won eight straight since acquiring Derrick Rose. They are 22 and 13. They're number three in defensive rating, so they have an elite trait to hang their hat on when they go into the playoffs. Um, They are 15th in offensive rating since then and number seven in net rating over the last 35 games. That is quite an impressive feat on quite a large sample size. Uh, Julius Randle, shout out to him, probably going to win most improved player if he's not – uh getting that already a uh, trey injury is not serious uh yes but at the same time ankle injuries are a bit like iffy i don't know if they're gonna push it for him because they pretty much have already made the playoffs like they did their work to get there i think they might try to make sure he's 100 percent so they can compete but back to julius randall shooting above 40 percent from every single area on the court that's above the break threes corner threes mid-range non-restricted area Um, It's been really, really good from Julius Randle. And I want to touch on R.J. Barrett because he's someone that was slandered a lot in his rookie season being a 19-year-old. Obviously, he did not have the most perfect season. But I think someone that R.J. Barrett could maybe eventually amount to become is maybe not mentality-wise, but in terms of play style, uh, he kind of reminds me of a young Jimmy Butler, which is crazy to say. I'm not saying he's going to become Jimmy Butler, but you look at RJ in year two, which is when he's been given that starting role and Jimmy in year four, when he was given that started role. So RJ is 20. Jimmy is 25 in this scenario. RJ averaging 17, six and three with 38.6% from three Jimmy as a 25 year old averaging 26 and three on 37.4% from three. So almost identical stats playing a ton of minutes, under Tom Thibodeau. Um, obviously Jimmy Butler's mentality is what sets him apart, and that is where RJ Barrett would need to get to. But he is just 20, I believe either 20 or 21 years old. So he's got a lot of room to grow. I, I don't want to say that he's gonna be Jimmy Butler and whatever. I just want to give him his flowers for playing really, really well. Um, after having what was not a great start to his career last year. Um I want to give a shout-out to the Knicks for the regular season success that they've been having. I'm iffy on their prospects in the playoffs, depending on who they match up with. I think if they start to slide with these next few games, that they have a bit of a tougher road. Um, it would be interesting to watch them play against a team like Brooklyn. I think Brooklyn-Knicks would be like the perfect kind of almost rivalry to, to rekindle right now because the no. Knicks are, on the team, the Nets are really, really, really good. So I would like to see that. Um, that that's just my Knicks talk. I, I really – I want to give them their credit. They've been playing great defense, and I'll RJ give, deserves a little bit of respect.
2: I'll give credit to the Knicks improving their three-point shooting like crazy. Like, they've actually been on a terribly recently three-point shooting. And the thing about the Nets and the Knicks thing, it's crazy how it, – it's so similar to the, to the Mets and the Yankees because the Knicks fans – talk about the Nets more than probably Nets fans talk about the Nets. <laughs> Absolutely. They, they get so annoyed when you bring them up. And, like, I get it. It's like if Orlando, I guess, got a big three all of a sudden. But even then, Orlando isn't like Brooklyn. like that, like that. Uh, I, I, It's a little brother syndrome, pretty much. But the other way around, it's like big brother syndrome. It's weird. Because you're the Knicks. You're not supposed to, like, care this much about another team. But you do. Yeah, I always find that weird.
1: Knicks fans parading in the street after an eight game win streak was really, really, really funny to me. Um, I guess they haven't tasted success in a long time. So this is kind of like how they celebrate. Um, I'm not a Knicks fan, by the way. I'm just giving a team their flowers for playing good basketball and putting it on TV. So I've been able to watch them over the last few games. Uh, it's still heat in five. Oh, it has been always will be. That's not a question. Maybe even heat in four. I think I would love for the heat to play against the Knicks in a series, but um, I would love to see them play against the Nets because stylistically the Knicks do everything that the Nets don't want to play against. Like they score inside, they have physical players. Julius Randle just plays bully ball for 48 minutes. RJ Barrett tries to play bully all bully ball for 48 minutes and Tom Thibodeau, like he just wants his guys to play bully ball and the Nets, they want to beat you with finesse, isolation, all that good stuff. I think it would be a good kind of clashing of styles in that series. Not saying that the Knicks would win, but maybe they win a game or two in that series and, uh, kind of remind me of like the 2017 Nets or 2018 Nets where they make a little bit of noise early in the season and then they make the playoffs, losing round one, and then they're on the up and up Um, area.
0: Yeah, I just want to jump in real quick on the Knicks. I do agree with a lot of what you said, Um, but I kind of feel like they're probably one of the teams that nobody wants to see in the first round for a couple of reasons. Yeah, definitely. Reason one being they are, like you said, phenomenal defensively. Um, Tibbs coach teams are usually really good defensively. And that's a team that I as a Heat fan and I'm sure most other fan bases as whatever team they're rooting for want nothing to do with in round one. Um, The Knicks defend like crazy. And again, Julius Randle has taken the leap this season. He has transformed his game. He is a scorer who can score from anywhere on the court. He plays bully ball. He gets to the rim. He's got the three-point jumper that he gets to from catch and shoot or off the bounce. It doesn't really matter. He's just, you know, they've they've kind of put him in a position to succeed, and he's done a really good job with it. But a lot of it is on him, you know, adding all these other areas and all these other um, just things to his bag that he didn't really have in the past. Yeah. Um, So props to him. He's become a really good player. He's still not better than Chris Bosh was, and I don't want to hear that (laughs) nonsense. But the Knicks are a team that I want nothing to do with in the first round, and I think if they get the right matchup, they may win that series.
1: Which is crazy. We did not expect this to be year one of Tom. An idiot sandwich. This is a cast of misfits that are fitting together in a beautiful way, and honestly, it's – It's been fun to watch. Like I know as Heat fans, I shouldn't be rooting for them. I wasn't old enough for the whole Heat-Knicks rivalries anyways, so I appreciate good basketball when I see it. I appreciate the Knicks right now. Um, But we are Heat fans, and uh, I think it's time to talk about the Miami Heat. So, man, if you want to throw up that graphic, we're going to have this little segment at the end of every single one of these. We're going to call it the Culture Corner, Uh, maybe poking a little bit of fun of some other shows that we might have on this network, but this is the Culture Corner. So we're going to talk Miami Heat right now. They won three straight. Um, The real talk of the town is Tyler Hero. So I'm just going to throw these stats out at you because I think I found kind of, the maybe not the reason, but a pretty good explanation as to why he's had such a hard fall off in the middle of the year. Um, It goes back to that injury on primetime against the Los Angeles Lakers, I believe, on February 20th, maybe February 19th uh, in the second quarter against Alex Caruso. Before that, so from December 1st up until February 19th, Tyler Hero was averaging 17.4 points per game, 6.2 rebounds per game, 3.9 assists per game, 2.6 turnovers, 34% from three on 6.1 attempts per game, 77% from free throw on 2.5. Pull up shooting was also not that bad. He was shooting 38% or 39% on 7.2 attempts a game. 46% effective field goal percentage. Catch and shoot 38% on almost three attempts a game. He was driving 11.6 times a game. So a lot of aggression in terms of like letting the ball fly with how he's playing early in the year. And then since then, 13 points per game, 3.8 rebounds per game, three assists per game. The turnovers are down 1.5. Shooting 31% from three. Pull-up shooting has been down to 35.3% on 4.8 attempts. Catch and shoot is down to 30.9% on 2.8 attempts from three a game, and drives are down to 8.3. So I'm not making excuses for the kid. He's not played up to par, but I think maybe the expectations that we had going into the season should have been adjusted a little bit. Um, I'm questioning his role, but I just want to know, Marco, like, how are you feeling about this whole Tyler Hero saga that I guess has happened with Heat fans over the last, say, few weeks?
2: Oh, uh, wow. Uh, I guess I see it where the frustration is, but I also sometimes I'm like this is a little too much because this is a second year guy, but everybody accelerated his timeline like outside of his like control pretty much everybody expects him to be something he's not in the second year of his like of his professional career, which has been like messed up by so much around him you know the COVID protocols he's gotten hurt a lot a quick turnaround so we didn't have a a training camp it's like you guys need to slow down and ease your expectations I've come to do that I had high expectations too but I realized this is a kid picked at number 13 who was being compared to Devin Booker already I'm like okay maybe we should (laughs) have eased up on that like, I, I understand where you're coming from. He's not making his open threes. That's been, like, one thing that's been annoying me is he hasn't made his open threes like and he's he did hesitating. last year. And, like, he's gotten good shots, too. Like, and he's passed up good shots. Yes, that's my problem. Thing. And, like, I don't get that either. I think his pull-up game will get there eventually. I think he'll be a pretty good pull-up shooter. I just I, – I get the frustration, but I think it goes too far sometimes. Uh, I will say his defense does need to improve. And he does need to earn his minutes. I don't think he needs to be given his minutes just because of what the team expects him to become. Like, I feel like they're given these minutes, like, thinking he's going to be part of the future. Like, not because he's earning them. Uh, he does earn them, like, some nights. And I want to say he was on a pretty good stretch up until that road trip came about. Like, that mm-hmm. Portland after that Portland game. It's just recency bias as well. Like, he's had a couple of really bad games recently. Yeah. Uh, bad stretches. It's going to be an up-and-down year. It's a second-year guy that's not, like, a good creator off the dribble. Uh, he's not a guy who's going to give you isolation offense. It's or not good isolation offense. You can't get past his man without a screen. <laughs> he, he'll, get, he'll eventually get better. I just – I don't get the over overabundance of, like, oh, this guy sucks. You should have traded him for blah, 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 blah and all this. It's – it's gonna be fine. He's gonna be a fine role player. You should have expected him to be a fine role player, but it, it's just the season with a team wants to compete and like they can't wait on him to get where he where they think he's gonna be for too long. Because you're on a on Jimmy Butler's timeline. That's also the frustrating part. And he's not gonna be on Jimmy Butler's timeline. And he's kind of let him down this year at times because Jimmy likes him. Uh, he likes what like he he's always said he's like his competitive nature and all that. And now there's, like, these thoughts about him not being, like, focused and, like, that have come out. And that's also probably going to lead to more frustration. Uh, I think everyone needs to ease up on him. But also you can't – I also don't get people that have been overprotective of him. Yeah. Uh, You still need to hold him accountable. Like uh, Alex Toledo holds Spo accountable. Uh, (laughs) You you still want to reward the guys that are playing well. Like you can't reward guys just because you're so used to rewarding them. Like if he's having trouble out there, you replace him with Duncan Robinson or you bring Kendrick Nunn in. Like yeah. it's a it's a it's a it's the thing that Spo always preaches about. You need to earn your minutes. And like yes. I get why some people might think that he's not earning his minutes as well.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think earning minutes is the perfect way to put it. Ariel, uh, we'll close with you. Your thoughts on the title hero saga.
0: My thoughts on the Tyler Hero thing is, like Marco said, he hasn't quite lived up to expectations. I don't want to speculate too much on what's happened um, in terms of like off-the-court stuff and whatever other various factors. Definitely we know about the whole uh, COVID season and what has played into the scheduling and the shorter offseason and all of that stuff definitely affects him. But, frankly, we are not necessarily in the business of playing guys who don't merit the time. Now, I'm not saying that he is a bad basketball player, but... Frankly, if you're the Heat and your goal is to compete this season, if he's not cutting it and he's getting killed on defense and he's having game after game that are inefficient and then he sprinkles in you know, short stretches where he's really good, I just don't see it. I don't see that. I don't see him deserving playing time over guys like Kendrick Nunn. Um, definitely not a guy like Duncan Robinson. If Victor Oladipo comes back, I think Spo has to do a really good job of just, you know, giving guys minutes based on the meritocracy, and and that's mm-hmm. all it should come down to. And definitely the developmental reps help him, but it is what it is. You're trying to win right now.
1: Yeah. No. I, you. If I could print out what you said. Put those quote, like put that quote behind my head and just have it framed in my room. I think I would do that because you said like I you articulated that perfectly, and I appreciate the way that you just said that because it it should be a meritocracy. Like, earn what you are given. Like that's what he needs to do. And I mean, hopefully he ends up turning it around, but I think right now we just need some semblance of production from the guards. With all that being said, this is the end of the full court press, our very first episode. Thank you guys in the comments for tuning in with us. This is an extension of five on the floor. It may be on the podcast feed. Um, Make sure you check out that podcast if you're a heat fan and thank you guys for supporting us in the comments. We will be back soon.